So welcome back to the AEC Hive podcast where we're talking about innovation in architecture, engineering, and construction. I'm Ralph Montague, director at ArcDocs and co-founder of the AEC Hive. I'm joined by John Egan, fellow co-founder of the AEC Hive. John, do you want to say hi to everybody? Hi, everyone. This is John Egan, CEO of BIM Launcher and co-founder at AEC Hive. Looking forward to this discussion. Great, and we're very excited. We're in Australia today to celebrate uh, St. Patrick's Day in Ireland. We're with Rebecca DiTiccio, who is the principal at, for digital operations at Oricom. That's a new appointment. She was the founder and director at Digital Node previously, so Digital Node have just teamed up with Oricom. She's also the global chair of the Women in BIM, and Rebecca, we're really excited to be have you here today. Do you want to start by just introducing yourself and telling people a little bit about your background? Sure. Thanks, Ralph and John, and I'm excited to be involved today. I really appreciate the invite. And, you know, as you know, I've been, you know, really obviously very much across, you know, many of the kind of global BIM initiatives. I guess just to give people a bit of background, for those of you who don't know me, um, I have, obviously, I'm an Australian. I worked in Australia, I guess, the first part of my career, and I moved over to the UK in 2006, and I spent I probably spent almost 10 years in the UK, which was very much, again, supporting the industry in, in uh, their uptake of, of BIM and, and uh, digital engineering. Uh, and in this time, I, um, I worked really closely with the BIM task group and, and, and other groups, I guess, um, to, to support the implementation of BIM. And I founded Digital Node in, um, in 2013, which was very much a response to the uh, to the uptake of BIM and the government policy in the UK, and at that time, you know, I noticed you know the low representation of of women, I guess, in these roles. So I I very much again you know passionate about diversity and inclusion. I founded Women in BIM around the same time that I started the business, funnily enough, and 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 as Ralph explained. We've recently been uh, acquired by the Oricon Group, and and I'm really excited. Uh, you know, as part of my role there, it'll be a, a I guess, a, a very much a, a global role, looking at, I guess, the implementation of, I guess, different policies and strategies around BIM and digital engineering for their global group. So I could keep talking, but uh, I'll let you guys ask questions, uh, and I'll stop for now. It's excellent, and it's really exciting to have you here. And we actually met. Around 2013, so that's about when you um, were starting, and you came over to Dublin for an event we had here called Meet the BIM Experts. I don't know if you remember that, but uh, it was <laughs> it was uh, an, an interesting time, and, and you know, we, we were just trying to bring all these new ideas to the industry in in Ireland. And I suppose I don't know what your your sense is of how the industry's moved on. In, the, in that period, yeah, has it has it been a slow journey or fast journey or in terms of innovation? Like, yeah, it, it is quite a, a conservative industry, and it, the sense is it does seem to move slowly rather than than mm-hmm. fast. But what's your sense of that? Look, I think you know, coming from um, I guess my experience in the UK, certainly I spent long enough there to to be very much embedded in um, in the, the construction industry. I mean, I worked heavily across architecture and construction for many years and then kind of bled into the BIM BIM space. But I did find that, you know, with the, you know, obviously with the policy through government and all the standards that were developed, you know, I saw, a, you know, a very, you know, a progressive uh, 
progressive industry in in that region. I mean, certainly having spent obviously now the last five years back in Australia, I've very much seen, I guess, how progressive it actually was. I think when you're embedded within it and you're a part of it, you don't actually see it as well as you do when you, you know, when you kind of step outside of it. Um, and that's something that I think, you know, that's really stood out for me in the last few years, just how far the UK have come, um, you know, with the, with the mandate and, and the development of, of BIM over there. Mm. That's interesting. And mm-hmm. so that, that gives you a good opportunity, I suppose, to co- compare and contrast the Australian industry to, to the UK industry. Mm-hmm. What's, what's the, what's the sense in Australia? Like is, well, it's also, I mean, I guess we've been, so because we were commissioned very early by British Standards Institute to develop all of the uh, BIM courses in the UK. So we wrote, we were the first authors of all of the um, BIM courses that supported the implementation of level BIM Level 2. We were then commissioned subsequently in, or we acted as a kind of global delivery partner for BSI. So we worked with BSI in APAC very closely, so Asia Pacific and Australia and New Zealand. And I guess even though based out of Australia, most of most of the work that I that I've undertaken has been outside of this region. So you know, I think COVID has allowed us to work remotely. But even before COVID happened, I was still working uh, remotely. But certainly, you know, I guess not just in Australia, New Zealand, but you know, across Asia and even you know other regions that we've worked in. I think you know the UK still stands very much as a leader strategically, I think, in the BIM space, you know, due to the foundations of, I guess, the BIM policy, really, that that was developed in the subsequent standards. So that's interesting that policy is a has been a big driver because obviously mm. it's, it's probably one of the few countries that have had a strong top-down policy, you know, compared to other countries. And yet when you look at maybe the Scandinavian countries, maybe the policy wasn't, as as top down, but they've been leaders as well. So it's it's quite interesting to compare the, the different approaches in in the different countries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we've I mean we've wrote we've written um you know we did a lot of co- public commentary on the global uh, the different global initiatives within the context of all of our articles that I wrote for AC magazine, and that's something that you know again I'm really interested um not just with the work I do in BIM, but also because of the Women in BIM initiative being kind of a global um, incentive, effectively. We've got, you know, I've got real interest in what's going on in other regions and, and how, you know, some of these things are being practically applied, which, again, you know, is, is something that we've seen, you know, throughout the world with our links in Women in BIM and our regional representatives across the different countries, which has been a real, uh, such an amazing experience for us because, you know, we've got those links now, I guess to people in the world yeah. really driving oh, that's that's amazing mm. on that initiative i suppose um like that that's particularly an area of innovation for the industry i think is the sort of perception of the because it is a perception really i mean there's so much in construction that can be done by any type of person you don't have to be a strong burly man you know like that's a perception that it's a it's a man's game and, you know, you need that sort of strength in labor almost to participate in the, the construction industry. But there's so much of what the industry does that it doesn't need that. It needs people with, with all sorts of backgrounds and all sorts of interests and, um, and talents. 
Absolutely. Um, and that is, a, that is a, an in, area of innovation that's needed is to try and tackle that perception, isn't it? Oh, look, totally. And I think that's, again, you know, it's something that we, one of our work, work streams effectively um, focuses on, uh, you know, encouraging and I guess driving young women to enter careers in BIM, not just careers in construction, because obviously there are wider industry groups that focus on, you know, the, the fact that we need more women in construction. But I guess for women in BIM, it is very much looking at how we can support, you know, it, I guess more, a more diverse, you know, open platform, you know, for, for, for women to enter these types of careers because they're constantly changing, Ralph, you know, they're, they're constantly changing and technology is evolving so quickly that, you know, we need to be, I guess, driving and um, supporting the best talent we possibly can. Mm. What is it, you think, that creates this perception? Because, you know, like you and I are both, I suppose, from a, an architectural background, and we probably see the, how exciting this industry is because you're literally creating the, the world, the built environment that supports everything that that society does, you know, the, the, the places we live and work and where our kids go to school. And, and you know, it's an incredible industry. But what is it that's sort of perpetuating that perception of this industry as, as, as not a good place to go? So, I mean, I think it's historical. I think the, you know, the fact that we've been rife with, you know, poor working conditions, you know, inadequate openness to flexible working. I mean, prior to COVID, there was really no real kind of drive for flexible working. And I think COVID has very much changed the way that we, you know, the way that we view, I guess, the, the, the construction industry now, the way that we can work remotely and and effectively have, you know, families and do what we need to do without actually being in the office. I think that the whole openness to, to that flexible working arrangement, I think, is one of the key drivers for a lot of women, I think, in construction. And that's probably why we're seeing such a high number. I mean, much of the data suggests across the board in construction that too many women are leaving the industry. But what we need to do is we need to encourage young women to, to grow within it um, in the BIM space or digital space and actually want to stay in it effectively, you know, retain retain that talent and I think the key is that flexible working you know I think is mm-hmm. ensuring that we can retain that. I was having a discussion yesterday in fact with somebody who was questioning I suppose whether things would go back well as they said normal <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's I suppose that's a question on a lot of people's minds at the moment we've had to embrace this remote working this uh, this modus operandi but Maybe a lot of people are thinking, well, things will go back to normal and we'll, we'll end up in site huts and trailers. Mm-hmm. And Is that the way things I mean, are going to go? Or? I don't think it, it, we can go back. I don't think it's it's possible. I think we've, we've kind of – we've really hit a turning point, not just in construction. I think globally across many industries, you know, that, that there's this – I guess this understanding that – People can actually uh, be self-managed. You know, there's no, there shouldn't be any more drivers for, you know, for, for micromanagement anymore. I think certainly with the next generation and much of the work I undertook with the BIM task group in the early days, I don't know if you remember the BIM 2050 group and the work that we did back then. I think probably the time I came to Ireland was the time we released that report. But much of the research even back then, which was 2013, suggested that the younger generations, the generations that are coming into industries, regardless of what industries they are, won't 
they just won't accept, you know, that micromanagement. They'll need that flexibility. They'll require that, you know, that level of trust because mm-hmm. effectively that's what, you know, that's what will make them produce and be better and thrive, you know. And, again, regardless of what gender, you know, that's something that, you know, I think will just happen anyway. But certainly not. I don't think we can go back to the way we were. Just going back to this conversation I was having yesterday with someone, but they were saying this, this, the downside of sort of remote working at the moment is that the the younger people are missing out on the interaction with with more senior people that resulted, I suppose, in the transfer of of experience and knowledge. You know, so you, you mm-hmm. don't have those interactions in the office where you can turn around and ask somebody a question, or you know, I was thinking, oh, what what is the antidote to that? What how does technology mm-hmm. and support the the transfer of experience and the transfer of knowledge? And and, and the reason I'm asking is because I know the women in BIM have this mentor program, and I think that that's a really interesting concept of mm-hmm. which we don't do a lot of in in the industry. Well, we do a lot of it, but we don't probably call it mentoring. But there's a lot of interaction between senior people and junior people where this transfer of knowledge occurs. But now you've you've gone out and you've created this program to to share knowledge, to share experience, and can and technology think, support that? I think certainly with the with the mentor scheme, it was it was something that you know as a as a team, and certainly with our mentor lead Katia Velava, she was just instrumental in orchestrating that process. And her, I guess, her drive drivers, and and I guess that the alignment to the women in BIM philosophies in terms of that level of support, they, they were they just perfectly matched. And one of the key initiatives around that was was basically as a group, we we knew that there was something lacking specifically when it comes to BIM, you know, because obviously there are so many different groups, like I've mentioned earlier, across the world supporting diversity. But we felt specifically with women in BIM, there are such a low number of women in BIM. Uh, representatives in leadership, so role models and those that can act as mentors, that we wanted to draw attention to those, to highlight those, to then enable those people to then link back into, you know, being able to support those potentially that were entering, you know, their entering careers in this space. But, you know, I don't know if it's if it's something that we can link to how technology can support it. I think it was mainly the fact that we knew this was something that needed to happen and certainly this is our second year we've just launched the program and we've already seen the numbers increase, you know. So, again, it's just reiterating the, the requirement for that level of support. And it's not, you know, it's not just having somebody that you can kind of, you know, ask questions to and, and you know, send emails to or, 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 I guess, confide in, but it's certainly that, that level of support where you can learn more about, you know, how industries evolving, you know, particularly in the digital leadership space, which, again, is where our mentors effectively are sitting. You know, we're finding women and men that are acting as mentors. Might I add that, you know, mentors can be women or men. You know, we're encouraging, you know, our mentors to be, you know, whoever whoever can support effectively, you know, and that's something that, again, you know, it's, it's such an important part of what we do. I might bring you, mm-hmm. yeah, and John, because you run a business and um, you, you're in this software development business. But of course, your business is distributed. Like the people that that build and yeah. work together are, are all you know, not in the yeah. same space. And you're sitting in the lovely west coast of Ireland, yeah. running a business. Yeah. Um, 
and lessons learned on the question for a lot of people is how much construction can happen remotely? Because your immediate thought is, well, it can't because we all have to be in the same place, you know, constructing <laughs> the the building. But of course, that's not true. Like a lot of it can happen remotely. And how does remote working work in your space? Like remote working is the norm for me. You know, like we have one guy in Bali, one guy in Turkey and one guy in England and one guy here sitting in the west coast of Ireland, as you said. We communicate through Slack. The other big thing that's um, that that's required successful remote working is this new or well, I call it a new concept of asynchronous communications that needs to take place within the team to give that flexibility to people across different time zones to deliver their work in their own time. And what I find myself as a, as a, as a team leader doing is trying to make the living conditions the best that they can be for, for my uh, teammates. So that means giving them the flexibility just to write you know, away from, from chemo, keyboard on Slack, for example, and they're not at their desk, they're not available to talk. And this kind of overlaps into another thing that we've we've come to see the need for um, with supporting remote teams, and that's this concept of the development of a social contract. So what that means is if you wanted your team just to check in in the morning, you would put that as a rule in the social contract. And... Um, or if you want, you know, like if you're opening pull requests, for example, on the code base, you need to include another developer on that pull request to review and make sure the code. Yeah. So you're kind of in, into the realms of your developed principles there. But remote working is, is the norm. But I, before we go off down, down that um, uh, rabbit hole, uh, Rebecca, I, my little sister works in the construction industry. She's 19. She worked, she got a job as a document controller. So she works for a construction company doing document control. And she wants to leave the industry already. So she's going back to mm. university. And I just feel that when I sit here as someone that's very passionate about the industry, you know, I, I brought her into the industry, got her excited about it. And now she's leaving again. Um, I find that it would be great if that Women in BIM um, initiative had greater awareness, for example, so my little sister could have maybe a Slack channel that she's added and she she has all the other Women in BIM uh, that she can confide on and, you know, talk about. Like the other thing Mm -hmm. that I've noticed as well from my dealings with customers is that the women that I counter are very, you know, they're very good. They're very knowledgeable about the processes. Um, and I find there's a strange relationship between the women and the other men, even on their team in the meeting. It's almost like they're looking for, you know, support or the men are there to oversee. It, it's it's something perhaps that you may have, have encountered, but... I just think that even as we talk about diversity and the openness of, of the industry, that mentality and that culture is still rotten, if you like. Yeah. Um, and that's my, how, that's just me being, me explaining what I've, 
what I've actually encountered. Um, yeah, it's it, you know what. Mm. Yeah, I was Go just going to say it's it's funny. There's two streams, I guess, of this conversation. I, I guess the first I'll start with is your second point, which was the kind of the fact that there's this whole kind of kind of weird dynamic with a lot of women being shadowed by their kind of male counterparts or senior members of their organization. And it's actually something that not only myself, but a lot of women have experienced in construction generally. And it was, funnily enough, it was one of the reasons why I thought I would never work for somebody again. You know, I thought this is it. I'm starting my business. I don't need to have to deal with this again. I'm quite capable and strong enough to be able to do this. But it was only in, you know, in my 30s, you know, where I had a bit of experience that I was confident enough to be able to do that, right? So, you know, I felt that I'd had that experience, I was able to do it, and I moved on. And I'll talk about what, you know, what Oricon provides me in a second. But I guess the second point with your sister, it's it's funny that you mention that because one of the core drivers for the development of our of our new website, which we've just launched, and it's been in the back of our minds as a core team for many years because we've we've really never had the funding to be able to do it in the past, was to provide that platform for women to become members. It's free membership, right? So women to basically become members, update their profiles, put, you know, obviously who they are, where they come from, what region of the world they're in, so that basically they can then, they can then search for people in their region and just have kind of conversations, effectively like a Facebook for, you know, for, for women in, yeah. in BIM. So you can basically chat to women, find women that are in those roles, get some advice. And I guess alongside that is also the mentor scheme, right? The mentor scheme acts to help young women potentially to try to overcome these types of issues. So well, there's so many ways we can, we can really help, you know, we can really help drive this. And that's why the, the website, and because it's just been launched literally like two weeks ago, one of the things that I'm really trying to, I guess, promote across industry now, because people just don't know yet, and we're doing it throughout our communications, but again, it's just sharing the fact that this is a, a protected membership area for, for women, regardless of where you sit, you can become a member and basically you can find people to chat to. She could find me on the website as a member and start chatting to me if she wants, you know, get some advice or whatever, you know, if, the, if that's something that she's looking for. So that's, again, something I'm really trying to push. So obviously the Gen Zs are all, all about different platforms to um, the ones that we, that, the ones that we typically use. Like, for example, uh, you know, I know my sister uses Snapchat. You know, I know TikTok is on her phone. We are big advocates of Clubhouse um, here at AAC Hive. We find it's a really useful um, means to collaborate uh, around, you know, with the AAC Hive community. And I've noticed on Clubhouse there's topics around Gen Z in construction, women in construction. There's a huge range of these forums or uh, discussion topics that are always ongoing on Clubhouse. And I think that it would be really beneficial if, if you know, you had someone that was on that and was able to point them at the great work that you're doing with the Women in BIM website. So. Yeah, so I don't I don't know much about Clubhouse. It's really interesting. I'd be keen, yeah, I'd be keen to support that. And I think that's something that you're right. I think in terms of the level of communication, I mean, 
you know, obviously, um, you know, the, 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 that, that generation of young people, regardless of, you know, what gender or what background they come from, have a, just a different level of communicating, you know, and I think um, certainly we need to start to, I guess, be present in some of these different uh, environments, you know, because, again, you know, not many, not everybody knows about us. And as much as we're trying to, to drive that, you know, awareness of, of our group and having, mm. you know, obviously, you know, podcasts and, you know, chat channels and everything we're doing with forums on the website and, and the LinkedIn stuff. I think you're right. I think it's having visibility across some of the applications that might be more appealing to them. That's a really interesting discussion point because this this idea of communication and it's so strong in the construction industry because that's, that's effectively how anything gets built. The, that there's this communication or sharing of information between people that ultimately res- results in physical buildings and infrastructure coming together, you know, and uh, so there's link between information and communications, uh, and the sharing of knowledge and the sharing of experience, and I suppose that's one thing that characterises the construction industry is that the forms of communication are very old school, you know, so we. we they're very formal and it's documents and it's, you know, record, you know, records and legal contracts and, but the young generation are, have all, all these new forms of communication which, which are not sort of finding their way into, into the industry. I mean that, you could say that's the ultimate problem of, of BIM mm-hmm. even. <laughs> BIM is, <laughs> is, is, is a, like if you break it down, like BIM is, is this communication of information and, in a digital format, and a lot of people feel excluded from that because it's just not their world. Their world is old-school documents, legal contracts, and the physical cooperation of people to share information in in a co-located space. And and that's what's what's being challenged, I suppose, even by this COVID crisis. But modern ways of working and working from home and and all sorts of things are are, are challenging that old-school way of communicating. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think that's a really interesting point. It's just this communications, and you've spent a lot of time, Rebecca. You said you worked, you're working in Australia, but a lot of your work is done remotely. So obviously, remote working and new forms of communication is in what you do as as a person and as a business. Do you want to share a little bit about your thoughts around modern mm-hmm. methods of communication and sharing of information? I think by default, I guess the main one of the strategies around. Um, I guess the growth of the business for me with Digital Node was, I guess, visibility, like I said earlier, of what was happening across different regions. And I knew that as an Australian wanting to spend more time across, you know, back back on this side of the world, you know, the intention was to effectively go back and forth. So I thought, you know, initially, this was, you know, back in 2016 that, you know, that I'd be able to, you know, work remotely to a degree but there would always be that link back to face-to-face interaction with our clients because most of the, I guess, most of the work that, that I was appointed to deliver was based on the relationships that I was able to build both in the UK, the US and other regions that I worked across. And certainly I think that that set me up very nicely to be able to work remotely because I had those relationships already in place. And I guess without, you know, potentially, you know, without having those relationships, it would have been very difficult because I still believe that, 
you know, regardless of, of the fact that, you know, we've, we've been pushed to, remote, you know, to with all the remote working and the fact that we have, you know, a variety of technologies that can support that, I still think, you know, there's still a, a lot of value in obviously that relationship building and that relationship building, you know, that doesn't happen overnight as you're both probably aware, you know, it takes a number of years mm-hmm. to build, you know, to build that. So, you know, realistically, you know, in a way, you know, yes, it's been, it's been okay working remotely. We haven't had too many issues, but certainly a couple of our projects went on, went on hold, you know, when COVID hit. I mean, we, you know, many, many organisations were, were, were hurt by obviously the impact on the economy, uh, particularly in the UK and the US. But having said that, I think, you know, because we have the ability and we're quite agile, we're a small business, we use subcontractors with specialist skills to deliver many of our projects what we have in the past. We had that, that uh, I guess, that, that um, savvy, I guess, uh, technology interactivity in place already. You know, we're already using applications, you know, like Slack and other things to communicate anyway, even though, you know, we were working potentially in the same region as some of our clients. So, you know, I guess it's twofold. You know, one one side of me thinks, you know, would I have been able to do this, you know, if COVID never happened, you know, where would I be effectively in the world to start with and what would I be doing? But the second part of me thinks as a business owner, you know, I think I was really fortunate that I'd built the reputation and brand of the business before COVID hit and certainly we were already, you know, technology-savvy company, so we had all of that in place um, and we were ready yeah to address those challenges because many companies weren't Ralph I think that's the, that's the issue many companies have really struggled with it yeah absolutely well that is the issue yeah. like mm-hmm. and even in the industry the issue is still people trying to grapple with technology and new ways of communicating and new ways of sharing knowledge mm-hmm. and information so it's it's a continuous issue. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, and that's one of the reasons. I mean, just to just to quickly finish up, that's one of the reasons that I guess the the acquisition was so appealing to me because I guess for those of, of for those people who know me very well, particularly in the UK, know that I've worked really hard to build that brand around Digital Node. But Oricon as a business had you know that kind of I guess, strategic alignment to what we were doing. You know, we had the very similar philosophies around the way technologies could enable the remote working, the flexibility, um, and, you know, again, you know, supporting clients in delivery, on both on, you know, BIM and digital engineering, but also, you know, outside of that. Could you talk to us a bit about the acquisition process? And, you know, you talked a lot about relationship building before, um, in you know, in the conversation leading up to this point, can you talk about you know how long were you engaged with Oricon? What kind of work you did? Um, mm-hmm. You know, when did you see this opportunity? You know, was it something you'd been working towards for for a couple of years, or did it come around at the start of COVID, uh, which it, which almost is a couple of years um, <laughs> now, is it? Yeah. But um, oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the uh, 
So it's a funny story. I think for me, I've always been the sort of person, I guess, both professionally and personally, that's, again, I bring up relationships all the time. It's all about relationships, right? And it's about people. And we've, particularly when I moved back, again, I didn't intend to move back, but when I relocated and with the intention of spending more time in Australia, I came across, I guess, their organisation because they effectively, you know, Australia, New Zealand, you know, Asia, Middle East, they don't have a huge representation in the UK or the US, which is effectively where I was working. So I guess the first, um, you know, 2016, 17, when I first started to build, I guess, my brand and reputation on this side of the world, I came across some of the people in that business. And I, you know, it's an interesting, it was an interesting process because I was connected again, you know, and you both know the BIM community on a global level is very small. So I was already connected to some of the people within that business and those people that I knew well, you know, some really, really nice um, and very intelligent people that I knew very well. But certainly at that point, we were, you know, we were looking at, you know, there was no intention of, of even of any kind of uh, connection to an acquisition. It was very much just to look at supporting what they were doing. So we were engaged by them in twenty. 17 to to kind of support and oversee some of the uh, their internal documentation and work closely with their internal team to support you know some of the kind of impacts of uh, of BIM in in this region and and after that you know it was just again you know industry affiliations uh, being involved in the same user groups you know with the 19650 feedback community as well as um, you know, industry um, events and and, uh, and and that sort of thing. And, and I guess around probably last year, certainly we were we were growing steadily still in the UK, the US, and through Asia. But there was still no real growth in Australia, and New Zealand for digital node, and that was predominantly because there was you know we just didn't have that level of support here. So I guess conversations in that realm started because. We wanted to be able to work closely with, uh, with clients in this region, particularly because the Australian government departments are uh, starting to take them seriously and have been over the last you know, 18 months, I'd say, or, or two years. So the conversations started a bit more seriously at probably the middle of last year and then, um, yeah, progressed uh, up until Christmas and, and, you know, we've negotiated up until up until when we were acquired only last, when was it, you know, a few weeks ago. So it, it's been a journey, but certainly for me, it was not about an acquisition. It was, ne- it was never about an acquisition. It was more about working with the right people, you know, across industry to influence change. And I saw some great alignment, again, with the people that are really pushing digital, uh, you know, strategic digital processes across you know, they're, they're, they're clients across many regions. So mm. it's been it's been such a short time. So, you know, we, we're, you know, it's still as a business owner, it's still really scary for me. But I think, you know, I'm I'm really excited about, you know, what what the next you know few years are going to look like for me. Could you talk to us about Oricon? Um, because I just had a quick Google there and it's it's, it's not an oral contraception pill company, I take it. Um, so for those that don't know what Oricon actually is, could you talk a bit about that? And I suppose what your vision is for this merger and where you think you'll, you'll go with your, with your vision over the coming years? 
Yeah, so um, I guess the the crux of the, the the acquisition supported, I guess, the stream of the business that looks at digital operations. And Oricon are a, an engineering and advisory company that basically supports, you know, engin- engineering as a discipline, but but they have an advisory wing which is very much strategic advisory on kind of integrating different digital solutions for different clients all over the world. So that could include BIM and digital, digital engineering, but it could include also other uh, streams of the business, which might which might include, for example, you know, data management. Um, I don't know, BIM, digital, uh, digital construction, uh, you know, strategic digital asset management. There are a number of different streams that are starting to really be driven across their business. And certainly, one of the things I didn't mention earlier was that the chief digital officer Andrew Marr and I met. Uh, many years ago, he saw me speaking at a conference in South Australia, actually, interestingly enough, and we just had a really good connection. And, you know, we both uh, we both very much thought that there was a nice alignment to what their service offering was in terms of digital engineering and advisory and what I could offer them. And that's when we that's when I was appointed. So he's effectively their, def, uh, their chief digital officer. But underneath, I guess, the digital brand is not only, like I mentioned, the the I guess the BIM and digital stuff, but also, you know, their their futures teams. So, you know, they have specific people that focus on, you know, what the digital future of our industry might look like. So, again, you know, I, I guess putting all of that together because there's so much, one of the, I guess, two of the things that, that appealed to Oricon when it came to appointing me in this role but also acquiring the business was, Firstly, the work, again, that I've done with, I guess, all over the world, really, with digital advisory, with some of the clients that we've worked with, not only, again, in the UK, but also, you know, in the US and the Middle East and other regions, but also the push for uh, industry capability and capacity in this space, not only aligning with the industry standards, you know, 19650, et cetera, but also, you know, what the future, you know, what the future of, of, our industry looks like and the development of future skills. So one of the key ambitions for me as, as you know, with the digital node hat supporting them coming into Oricon was very much supporting their, their kind of global strategic view on how future skills could be, uh, could be understood and then fundamentally embedded across the business. But alongside that, John was also their keen interest in, in what 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 I do with women in BIM, and they've been constantly um, a big supporter for the for the initiative. So they they now have effectively helped, I guess, bringing digital noted effectively brings in you know a part of me that that very much is focused on women in BIM. So you know with that acknowledgement, they have a very strong and keen interest in diversity and inclusion, but also how the digital realm supports diversity and inclusion and and you know bringing bringing in I guess myself in that space again was something that I'm really keen to nurture as being part of that that business to grow numbers for women in BIM across the Oricon group to have the Oricon group support women in BIM as a as a larger entity uh, across the world really so yeah so I mean you know there's just so much and Again, you know, it, it's you know strategically the the the, the, the you know the, we're aligned in terms of I guess some of the uh, products that we offer uh, effectively to industry. And I want to pick up on what you're saying about the future of of the industry because that's of course what we're all about on AC Hive is innovation and 
yeah, innovation for the purpose of making the, the future better. What, in your mind, is fr- you know, the most frustrating thing that you see about the industry that needs the biggest area of innovation, that needs the, the most attention, if you like, when it comes to planning or looking at some sort of future for this industry? I still think it comes down to the, you know, the framework for, for, you know, how digital can fundamentally change and affect the way we work because, you know, we can talk about technology, you know, for, for, you know, to, for as long as we like, but without having, I guess, people across industries and organizations that strategically can start to, I guess, um, influence and then implement some of these processes and innovations, then ultimately it fails. I mean, you know, you can have as many smart, innovative people as you like across a business. You still need really smart, innovative leaders. And I think that's where we're still lacking. I think there's a lot of smart people and really strong leaders in the BIM and digital space across the world, but we just need more of those types of people. You know, we need to, we need it, we need these sorts of conversations across you know, the digital space to be commonplace across industry and across organisations rather than just be a division or a wing of a business that, that generally gets neglected. And, again, I see that so uh, common, you know, it's such a common um, occurrence across our across our industry globally where a lot of organisations are either appointing one person or bringing in a couple of people to look at the BIM stuff or the digital side of things without strategically implementing it within their business planning, you know. So I, I think that's really where I, you know, I think is the biggest, one of the biggest hurdles because, again, you know, we, we need, you know, innovators and entrepreneurs and they, those sorts of people, you know, regardless of their, I guess, their backgrounds, they still need to be um, resourced and positioned across our businesses to support that change. That's absolutely true and interesting, mm-hmm. you know, because you, you see that quite often that, yeah, you know, there's the boom person <laughs> on a, on a project. You know, as if nobody else participates in the sharing and communicating of information, which is incredibly wrong, because everybody does. That's that's mm-hmm. the way things happen. But it's it's funny that people have sort of isolated BIM as a thing that a person or a small group of people might do on the side of the project, and everybody else. Would just carry on as normal. So that's that's an mm-hmm. interesting point. What else in your discussions with Oricon, like and the futures of, of construction, what would you say is, is coming down the tracks that you're really excited about? I mean, look, we do much of the work that, that I've been doing sits in the education space. So we um, obviously we do a lot of research in the fact that there needs to be an understanding of what, what digital processes are to come and how they will fundamentally influence um, our sector. And, you know, it all comes down to, for us, you know, the uptake of, you know, the the citizen, the the, the digital citizen. And when I say the digital citizen, it's all about, you know, the smart city agenda and looking at how, you know, I guess the BIM slash digital engineering processes and, and initiatives and technologies can start to influence the wider city landscape and how city authorities are starting to, you know, some of the largest cities across the world are starting to really take interest in how they can be more open with, you know, data standards and embedding uh, embedding digital processes and, and um, supporting digital startups in uh, the smart city space. So, 
again, you know, because we've been working with BSR, we're seeing that these sorts of conversations are being had on the, you know, the city authority level. So the government level where, you know, governments across, you know, China, Japan, you know, even Asia, we know that the UK has been very progressive in the, obviously with the work undertaken within the Centre for Digital Built Britain on the kind of smart city agenda. But again, you know, I think when we look forward, you know, we understand that there's a lot of data out there, you know, the Internet of Things, all of that sort of stuff, which everybody's been talking about for so long. But I think in the coming years, we'll see a strategic uh, view on how that can start to be implemented in terms of open data standards and certification for smart city standards across the world, I think. And again, technology just will fuel that. You know, I think that's something that, you know, having that accessibility to data is going to become a really critical uh, element, I think, to to our cities. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And how, how would you in- encourage women, but also young people, about the future of construction? Like, what, what's your message to, to people out there about the mm-hmm. future of construction? You know, I think it's all about being, you know, I think, you know, touching on the, some of the conversations we had earlier about that kind of flexibility with, with being able to understand how technology can fuel that flexibility without looking at traditional roles in the same way anymore. Because, you know, unfortunately, there's still there's still an issue with, you know, education. And as much as there's been work across the universities globally with implementing, you know, different processes and technologies across our uh, discipline degrees, there's still there's still that issue. So I think what we're seeing is an uptake of apprenticeships, which, again, gives those young people more of a, um, a realistic picture of what a, a career in construction looks like. I think until you're actually embedded within it, I know for me personally, you know, I studied architecture over here for five years before I started working in architecture. And <laughs> if I could turn back, you know, would I do it again? I'm not sure. I don't think I would, if I'm honest, because <laughs> it, was totally, it was totally different to what, I, to what it would be. But having said that, you know, positioning me to where I am now, which is wonderful. But I guess the advice really is is just to, I guess, you know, work experience, embedding yourself in, you know, if, if apprenticeships are really important because they give young people, you know, that realistic picture. And, and again, getting involved in the social media, on the social media aspect, aspect, I think, John, you mentioned it again with, you know, with groups like ours being, more visible, you know, for, for young people. I think, you know, if, if our groups, you know, would potentially have that visibility across schools and universities and things like that, I think that would be a real benefit, you know, to be able to connect some of the people, young people thinking about entering careers in construction and then what the actual reality looks like. I mean, one of the projects, I guess, to touch on before we finish is that the Women in BIM Regional Lead Group in Australia are hosting a series of webinars on careers in BIM. So, you know, what is, what is it, what is the realistic picture of a career in BIM? What is, what does it look like? You know, what is my role? What is my title? And what I'm actually doing on a day to day level? And, you know, we're recording all of those and we're going to host them on our website. But again, you know, that's, that's, I guess it's just about having clear visibility, you know, and embedding yourself, I guess, if you're a young person interested across as many social platforms as you can, you know, to learn and, and be supported. So we've come to the hour, but John, any final questions from your side? 
No, just I'd like to thank Rebecca and obviously her great efforts with the Women in BIM initiative. Rebecca, we have a community platform called AECHive.net. Um, it would be a great place to, and, and obviously within that community, we have a good mix of men and women. Perhaps some of the women do not know about, you know, the initiative that you have going with Women in BIM, and it might be a great recruitment ground, if you like. So if you could, we have a listing section there where you can advertise the webinars that are coming up. And we also have a, a blogging place as part of the website. If you created a, if you had a blog that talked about the initiative and what, what you were hoping to do and a bit more information about how people could engage with your initiative, you know, it, it could be it could be really good for the women in our community. But aside from that, yeah, I'd like to really thank you and I, I wish you all the best with uh, your journey in Oricon. And I look forward to seeing the, the work of the Futures team, more of that in, in Ireland, hopefully sure. at some point in the future. And I'd like to, um, yeah, absolutely thank both of you for obviously the, the support. And I'm really keen to obviously to, to host anything we can um, on the AC Hive, uh, you know, a blog or website, so anything we can do. On the women in BIM front, I'm keen to to get involved, and I'm sure the wider core team would be as well. So certainly get in touch with us. I mean, womeninbim.org is the website, but we're we're really keen to grow our members. And you know, the new website was only launched. You know, the new platform was only launched on the 8th of March. So you know, we've got some great new functionality, some good initiatives, and yeah, we just want to to grow members. So thank you very much. Yeah, excellent. And from my side as well, just want to say thank you. It's been a really interesting conversation. It's always amazing. These conversations seem to go so quickly, but they just, <laughs> you get immersed in them because it's, it's fascinating. I feel like you could talk for another hour, <laughs> but, but we will keep talking and we will obviously be really excited about helping your initiatives through the AC Hive community. And uh, as you said, it's all about building relationships and that's what community is all about sharing information and supporting those futures of construction so from my side it's been great to talk to you to get your insights and i'm sure everybody's mm -hmm. going to appreciate it so i hope you have a great st patrick's day in australia thanks and, uh, and it's the end of the day here so <laughs> i'll be grabbing <laughs> a glass of wine and going to sleep basically uh, so, but no right. again you know keep in touch and anything i can do to support more than happy to do so thank you